take a little guy that he's um, missing school one day. Mom and daddy sent him to school. Mama packed his lunch, told him, now, Junior, you be a good boy when you go to school. Yes, Mama, I will. I promise. But instead of Junior going to school, Junior goes by and there's a big crowd, big old crowd of people. And Junior's wondering, what in the world is going on here? And it's a man talking. And Junior hears this man, and he's never heard any words like this coming out of a man's lips in his entire life. So the man goes on and on and on, and they realize it's lunchtime. So they go to asking through the crowd, anybody got any sandwiches? Anybody got any biscuits? Anybody got anything? And Junior says, I got my lunch. As long as you don't tell Mama I wasn't there at school. A junior's little basket in his hands would have took care of him. Would Junior be, be, be willing to let Jesus have it? He could feed 5,000. And they could take up 12 basketfuls after Jesus gets down. Your life, my life, and our hands, friends, what would it be? We'd live 50, 60, 70 years. Maybe somebody you'd say you was a decent businessman. You was a good painter. Uh, you was a good mechanic, uh, a good loan officer. A boy, she could make the best pineapple upside down cakes you ever tasted in your life. But if you gave your life into the hands of Jesus, what can he do? Sunday before last, whenever Carol and I pulled out of the parking lot out here, I told her, I said, uh, wow, wasn't, wasn't that a tremendous service to close out on the Little Fox series? She said, are you done? I said, yep, think so. <laughs> I imagine the Lord must have kind of chuckled a little bit, like you all just did. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. <laughs> Take us the foxes. 
the little foxes that spoil the vines. For our vines have tender grapes. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. Cretans to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. I'm not sure what these uh, 20 services will be after tonight on the little foxes is done for you. But I'm hearing from all over this world, literally. Arizona, Europe, Africa, people's lives have been so touched and so changed and so up. Isn't that what it's all about? You see, if I keep me to myself, I'll amount to nothing. But if I can give me away, if you keep yourself to yourself. But let's look tonight at a different little fox. Now, Sunday, as I told you, I felt like I was done myself. Shows what I know. (laughs) But the Lord spoke to me on Monday these words. The fox of an unsurrendered life. The fox of an unsurrendered life. Let's bow our heads together. How many would like to be remembered tonight before the Lord? God bless you, me too. Heavenly Father, as we bow our heads to the dust of the earth, Lord Jesus, that's all we would be. We would live our life, go back to the dust, and one day our souls would stand before you. We'd depart into a lake of fire, burn for however long, would be just according to our deeds, and then we would cease to exist. But your grace has reached out to us, Father. And for that, we are so thankful. As we come here tonight, Lord, we've come to worship and pray and sing. And we've just got our hearts open. We're not here to dictate to you how the service ought to go. But we're saying, won't you just come among us and have your way? Just do what you know needs to be done tonight, Father. Lord, we have many needs among us, and we're just asking that you would manifest yourself to be able to bring healing and deliverance and whatever more. Father, I hold in my hand this handkerchief tonight, Lord, for Sister Faith Lunsford. You see this need in her body, Lord Jesus, and we're asking you, dear God, that you would intervene on behalf of our sister. We know you're a mighty God. We know, Lord, that there's nothing that can be able to hinder our faith as long as we keep it right there on the promise of God. The angel of the Lord told your prophet, nothing will stand before your prayers, not even cancer, if you'll believe. So we know that it was a specific fear that would be so prevalent in the last day. But God, we believe you're greater than every disease that Satan brings upon humanity. Father, we ask tonight that you would minister to us. Help me, Lord, that I can be able to surrender myself, Lord Jesus, to be able to get out of the way. Speak to us tonight. Lord God, our sister Daisy passing over today, Father, 
We pray for her family. Dear God, Sister Janet Kennedy losing a, a brother and then the same night losing a son. We pray for that family. Dear God, we know Brother Tim Humes having his meetings this weekend and some of the saints gone there. We pray that you just pour out your blessings upon them as well. Lord, Brother Darrell up in Michigan and still, Lord, needing a touch in his body. We pray, Father, you just be mindful of us. We're asking much tonight because you told us to. Minister to us, we pray, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus. And the saints of God said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. What a little sneaking guy we want to look at tonight. I'd say thus far, he's probably one of the most conniving, sneaking, low-down foxes that you and I'll ever deal with. Because he works on the means of our desire, our passion, our ability to receive the reality of God. Now, he is the type of a fox that will present to you and I that God doesn't really want us to have a deeper, greater, more wonderful experience He'll try to convince us that we're doing absolutely everything that we ought to do. And that in reality, God is demanding too much. God is too harsh. God requires too much. And God doesn't understand us and our plight quite the way that he should. He wants to present our Father as being one like He did to Eve in the Garden of Eden who hangs before us great, great, wonderful things. But things that are so hard for His children to ever get to, it's as if though God is unjust to even do such. Let me read you something here. And El Shaddai, the prophet said, when you come to total obedience, then you can have possession. But until you totally obey, you got to completely surrender your own thoughts, your own will, your own mind, and let the mind of Christ operate in you. Now, do you think Christ, the mind of Christ in you, would say the days of miracles is past? Do you think the mind of Christ in you would say the Bible is right in some place and not in others? The mind of Christ would sanction every word that Christ ever said. Now, I want you to notice now the key to possession is obedience and surrender. Also the key to the divine realities of the supernatural realm of God comes through the channel of surrender. Now listen carefully. 
It is not through emotion. We love emotion, don't we? We love to praise God. We love to cry. We love to shout. We love to dance. We love to do all of that. But possession is not through the channel of emotion. It is not through the channel of screaming, hollering, shouting. It's not even through quoting the word. It's not even through how many tapes of Brother Branham that you listen to. But it is actually through you and I learning how to surrender everything we are. You see, it's as if though that God gives us a capacity in our humanity and a capacity in our deity measure. And the more of carnality, the more of self, the more of the world, the more of the elements of time that we're able to get out of ourselves, then the more that God is able to pour himself in. And it's as if though that God and Satan are on this competition of trying to get control of our lives, our minds, our souls, and of everything that we are. Notice again in God hiding himself in simplicity, the one in Albuquerque. Many people listen to the one prior to the seals and they never go to Albuquerque just a little while thereafter. You ought to listen to that one too. When you surrender fully, he'll come in fully. Now you see, if Satan can convince people that they are doing absolutely everything, why they don't know anything else to give up. They don't know of anything else that there is left to do. They've done everything. They've turned every rock. They've looked under every bush and they've done everything they know to do and still God won't move for them. He's lying to you. Now, most of the time when you find people like that that have that attitude, they ain't even done half, much less all they're supposed to do. But yet somehow the devil will warp it around in people's minds that they have done so much and give up so much and surrendered so much, and yet God has not done his part. But we know God is not a liar. Now listen, the key to this, very simple, Brother Chariot, very powerful and profound. When you surrender fully, he'll come in fully. Now Brother Man was made an altar call, and he's asking how many people want the Holy Ghost. And he actually calls a man to come up in the altar call and pray for the people to get the Holy Ghost. And Brother Branham was standing there watching in the altar call, and he said, now this man just got it, and that man just got it, that woman over there. So this is what's going on now, the setting of this is an altar call. So when you surrender fully, he'll come in fully. But until you surrender, he can't come in fully. Surrender. Surrender your thoughts. Surrender your thinking. Surrender your life. Surrender your all. Surrender your prestige. You say, My, what, what is there for me to surrender? I just gave you a pretty good list. And there's more to follow. So we have to surrender our thoughts. We have to surrender our pride if we have any. Our prestige if we have any. We have to surrender our thinking that is contrary to his thinking. We have to to surrender any tradition that would be contrary to the word. Notice he said surrender everything to him now. And he will come in and fill you with the Holy Ghost. Now, Satan has not been able to keep multiplied millions of people away from accepting the Lord Jesus as their Savior.
Many, many people around the world have accepted the Lord as their Savior. And in spite of everything that Satan has done, he has not been able to stop them from the knowledge and of accepting the power of the cross. But he has been able to stop many, many of those millions of people from going on to accept the Lord Jesus to become not only their Savior, but actually the Lord of their life. Now, he does not mind as long as you and I will accept him as our Savior, and that's as far as we go. Because the living realities of the living God can never be made manifest in a living image of that God until they surrender all that they are. Then the word they're hearing becomes more than just quotes, and well, Brother Donnie's reading more quotes and more quotes. If that's what this message is to you, then it's not really a reality yet to you. But when it becomes a reality, it is God speaking to you. Right. It is more than quotes. It is more than just a preacher standing up reading something that's, oh, that's so nice. Oh, that made me lie. No, it's more than that. It is the Word of God going in and discerning your very heart. Oh, it made me cry. It made me so sad. No, it's more than that. It is a reality. But that only comes as we learn how to surrender everything we are. Listen to this one here in Unfailing Realities of God. God wants a complete surrender. Do you believe that? God wants to surrender. How can God show you realities before you surrender yourself to him? You've got to surrender. So the key to people having a reality with God. Now, if you want you to notice that he did not put it as a singular status, that you only get one reality when you first get saved or get the Holy Ghost and that's the end of it. But it's another reality after another reality after another the reality. You see, to many folks in this message, the reality of God sending us a prophet, it's just a doctrine to some of them. And that's why you know that some have left and some have gone this way and that way because it never was a reality in the first place. But if it is a reality to you, nobody talks you into it and nobody ain't going to talk you out. And it's the same with your new birth. It's the same way even with where you're supposed to go to church, a revelation of who your pastor is, a revelation of these great doctrines that you're talked about. It is more than just a doctrine. It is a reality to you. But that only comes as we surrender ourselves to him. So people can come and they can hear the word preached. They can hear the truths talked about. And they see other people with that reality experience. And they look at them and they say, I wish I was like that. I wish I, I felt that that way, but I don't. And they're being honest. And yet they think, well, I really want it with all my heart. And probably some of them believe that. But the truth of it is, if we really want it with all of our heart, God is obligated to give it to us if we come God's provided way. But if Satan's bad job then is to try to be able to convince the people that they are doing their very best. They are trying their very hardest and God just won't give it to them. I'm sorry if it comes between you and God, I'm going to believe God's telling the truth and you ain't. That's right. Now, Satan then will try to keep people from giving their all in order 
for the key of reality to open up to their lives, then when he does that to them, he'll turn it right around and he will tell them, now see, you've tried this, you've given up this, you've done that, and you've done something else, and God still won't give it to you. So him being the very cause of why they don't have the reality of God, but he'll always turn it around on God and make God look like he's the guilty one. And then if you really don't know the word, and if you're immature yourself, you know what you'll do? You'll blame God for your own failures. Well, somebody going to preach with me tonight? Notice this in conferences. Brother Raymond said, maybe some of you here tonight are backslider. You'll be miserable all the days of your life, and you ought to be. Well, and you ought to be until you surrender yourself to God. So this little fox of an unsurrendered life, what he wants to do is to be able to come around and gnaw on your experience and actually exalt in your mind what you think you have done and what you think you have given up and try to work on you in a psychological way, also in the realm of your faith, to try to convince you that you've done your part. Well, my you give up smoking. Boy, that's real a sacrifice, wasn't it? Think of all the emphysema you all give up. Think of all the lung cancer. My, that was really hard. Y'all give up drinking cirrhosis of the liver. You gave up marijuana. Well, now you see one person instead of five when you're hiring a kite. You give up cocaine. You give up all that stuff. You call that a real sacrifice, do you? Come on now. Then he'll try to convince you, oh, you gave up this and you gave up that. You're just getting started when you're talking about that stuff. You're just now getting to where God can deal with it. Then God goes to working on the improvement of the inner man, which is self-will, your own purpose, your desires, your motives, everything that you are from the inside out. It's more than tobacco. It's more than giving up your rock and roll or your country music. It's God reshaping the inside of you into the image of the spoken word of God. It's the, oh hallelujah, it's the image that God had of you before the foundation of the world. Now, you, well, there's many characters, of course, we know in the Bible that did not ever fully, completely give themselves to God. And as we read about Demas, now we know that Demas was a New Testament preacher. Demas was a man that was anointed. Demas was a man that went around in the message churches at that day with Paul. As a matter of fact, you'll find Paul mentioned his name several times. And Demas salutes you, and Demas was here, and Demas was there. But something come to a spot to where Demas wanted to go back to the world. And Paul said, having loved this present world world. So Demas actually made a turn and he regressed from where he was. Now remember, he did not actually go back to the world and say, well, I don't believe there's a God. I, I just don't believe that anymore. But he thought something had happened to Paul and Paul had kind of lost a little bit of his ministry. And he began to question the things that Paul was saying and Paul was preaching. So now this fruit proves to us that Demas had never entered into that spot of a total surrendered life before the Lord Jesus. Not saying that a child of God that is fully surrendered does not have fears, frustrations, doubts, worries, problems, sickness, headaches, heartaches, tummy aches, muscle aches, feet aches, back aches. Amen. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. But you see, the difference
difference is with a life that is just a Christian and that is not a surrender life, they do not have that maturity. They do not have that stability. They do not have the revelatory power of God inside of them to keep them through absolutely everything they go through. Once they ever cross the line, can I ever get it over to you, Happy Valley? Once folks ever come in and they receive the token, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, there is no more backsliding. There is no more love of the world. There is no resurrection of that old nature. Once you surrender your first husband, God kills him and he is dead forever. He will never raise again. You will never be married to him again. He's gone. He's dead. He's finished. He's buried. But if you're a Christian that's not a fully surrendered Christian, you can be in, out, up, down, cold, lukewarm, on fire, back to cold, back to lukewarm. I'm not sure anymore. I don't know if I believe it or if I don't believe it. Well, you know, I wouldn't say a person like that is not in the saved status except in the Lord as their Savior. But they are not a surrendered Christian to the will of God. And it's easy to see they've never entered into this reality that I just read to you about because once you get there, nobody, no one, no demon, no angel can ever take that away from you. So that little fox, he goes to nibbling on people's life and their mind and their intellect and their faith and their faithfulness to God and so on and so on. And then more and more and more, they begin to regather themselves around themselves, which is the worst thing you can do. The very thing we all need, the very answer to every problem we have is the Lord Jesus. His mercy is God. I need healing, Brother Donnie. He's the answer. I need a financial move. He's the answer. And I don't care what you tell me you need. It will come through the power of God, your faith in the Word. So then Satan, who cannot not stop the people from believing in the power of the cross, oh, well, the Lord Jesus, sure, he died, but you know, uh, you'll never go on any farther than that. Then he'll try to get them all wrapped up in themselves to where that they get to where that they will not totally trust him because of the fear of of completely letting go and releasing everything that they are because there is an element of fear to that and some people feel very vulnerable and whenever they give up totally give up everything and reserve nothing to themselves reserve no pride no private rooms in their life with sin in them some folks I mean it is a terrible terrible battle for them to be able to do it and many folks labor years of their life and they are battling that little fox and as they get weaker and weaker that little fox is getting stronger and stronger and their will to keep that about themselves is getting stronger as well but the very thing they need is the very thing they're afraid of and that is surrender Surrender to who? Hitler, Stalin, Mussolini, uh, Bill Clinton, uh, uh, to Donald Trump? No, the Lord Jesus. I wouldn't surrender everything I've got to Donald Trump. I wouldn't surrender everything I've got to none of you. But I will to Jesus. But Brother Donnie, don't that make you afraid? It does not. Because I know by his character, I can trust him. I can always trust him. Don't you feel vulnerable that he knows you? He knows me whether I give it to him or not. Now, let us look at a man in the Bible here. We all know him. His name is Saul. 
Saul, I always felt sorry for Saul. He's a very pitiful sort of a guy to me. You know, Saul actually was a reflection of the epitome of where the children of Israel were when they began to ask for a king. Now, initially, God, of course, telling the prophet, tell them, no, that's not my will. But yet God said, well, they want it. I might as well give it to them. They have rejected me. And Saul and Samuel, of course, was all tore up. And, you know, if I ever took your money, no, no, no. But we want the king in there. God said, they ever rejected you. They have rejected me. But choose this man, notice the terminology of God, to be the captain. God did not call him king initially, but God called him captain over my people. Now, Saul was a very reflection of the age that he lived because Saul was a rebellious, stubborn man. And the children of Israel were at the very same thing, so God gave them a leader which matched how they were. Well, praise the Lord. God gave them a leader. Don't you understand why they got the leadership in America that we do? They match the people. Liars, hypocrites. I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican or a knothead. Let me tell you something, friends, so you'll understand. The devil is the master of all politics. The devil controls the Democratic Party. The devil controls the Republican Party. The devil controls the Socialist Party. So don't get too tied up in politics. Get tied up in Jesus. Now, Saul... He was, of course, anointed by the prophet, and God sets him position. Now he moves in, and he starts uh, to moving into the kingdom of Israel, and God is going to try the man. He's been in a probationary period, as Adam was, really, in reality. It was a very similar type, and you look at it, that he was placed in a probationary period to see what he's going to do with this position. Now, God, the promise into a coming king would be that God would bless their dynasty to where they would be able to live through their seed coming on down for a thousand years. Now there's a millennial promise into that of course, but yet none of the Old Testament ones ever lived into that spot, but God wanted them to be able to forecast that by their own lives, so they would be able to live on and on and on and on their posterity to their son, their grandson, their great-grandson, and so on. So this is the promise that God is going to give to them. So when God goes to dealing with Saul, then God is going to try him. And one of the best ways to try a man in power is to see if the man in power will still be obedient to the man who's above him in power. Now that's hard for many men who get in power to do because they want to become an absolute dictator. Well, y'all going to preach them in now to look at them. Now watch as we go into this trial of Samuel and keep in mind now that Samuel Saul never actually got to a place that he could totally surrender everything he was to God. Notice 1 Samuel 13 and 5. And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. Let me read it again. 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in the multitude. And Saul is gathered in Gilgal with 600. God knows how to try our faith. 
Now, before we criticize the man, let's look at the scenario and ask yourself what you would do. Now watch. And they came up and pitched in Michmash, eastward from Bethsaida. And when the men of Israel saw they were in a strait. And I would imagine that's putting it lightly. For the people were distressed. Or we'd call it depressed. The people were distressed. Now listen at their reaction. Then the people did hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits. I mean, they seen a foxhole. They literally went in a foxhole, not a hand-dug foxhole, World War II style, a foxhole, a coyote den, a bear den. Wherever they could go, they went, the children of Israel. And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Now remember, they are going back so far. They are so afraid by the Jim and so terrified that some of them cross the Jordan River and go back to their brothers on the other side of the river. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal. All the people followed him, not dancing, not shouting. And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not. Okay, so Samuel says, Saul, I want you to go to Gilgal and I will meet you there within seven days. Every day, people are leaving. Every day, the army is getting more terrified. Every day, more Philistines are gathering at Michmash. First day goes by, second day goes by, on up to the seventh day. Samuel is nowhere to be seen. No texts from him, no emails, no Instagrams, nothing. Oh, my. But Samuel came out to Gilgal and the people were scattered from him. Oh, Saul, if you would have only waited just a few more minutes. Do you understand? Samuel was so close. It's beyond me. Okay, it's beyond me. We are so close to home. We are so close to the body change. And people are turning back to the world now. We're not 30 years ago. We're not 50 years ago. We are right at the very door. We are right at the very time of the body change and people are turning back now.
So you've got 600 men, which means you're way outnumbered to begin with. Then you've got all of these chariots. You remember reading the scripture according to what the writer of Samuel said? There was no smith in the land of Israel, which means a blacksmith. So none of these men had swords. What do you reckon they had? Hoes, mattocks, shovels. They were farmers. But I'd rather have God on my side and have a mattock in my hand than a cannon, wouldn't you? Oh my, it makes it a bigger miracle. Oh, glory. You can imagine now all of this that is facing Saul. And Saul, remember, is a man who does not have a complete surrendered life to God. So his faith is wavering. The fear of the people, every day they get up and Jonathan will come back and maybe his other men. How many left last night? Oh, daddy, 50 more left. 35 more, 150. We seen them going across Jordan. They're heading out of here. Man, that's leaving. We ain't already got nobody left. And Samuel just waits and waits and waits. And Saul said, bring Heather a burnt offering to me and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. Now this man no doubt had been trained by the prophet's message that he is king, not priest. This was the way of the heathen for the heathen kings to take upon them the judicial, the legislative, and the spiritual aspect of the whole economy. You know, the prophet of God was faithful in telling him, now Saul, don't you do this, don't you do that, don't you do that. It'll spare you and the children of Israel very much sorrow. He was aware, I'm convinced, of the restrictions or God could not have justly punished the man for what he's fixing to do. But yet we see the weakness in Saul's character. That he was a man that was unsurrendered. Anointed? Yes. And he must have been a great soldier. He must have been a man to really be able to lead the children of Israel in tremendous victories. Because there was great things that happened. Read the book of Samuel about his life. And there was great things that God did through the man. As far as using him in a military way. Oh, he could surrender that part to God. He could give God his brain. He could give God his arm. He could give God maybe the muscles in his legs to run to the enemy. But he could never give God his whole heart. Notice in verse 10. And it came to pass that as soon as he made an end of offering the burnt offering. Behold, and Saul, notice this. Where in the world is Samuel? Bring hither a, a, a burnt offering to me and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. Then look in verse 10, and it came to pass as soon as he had made an end of offering. It was not that Samuel was a thousand miles down the road. He was right there. What was this trial for? To test his character. Will he wait? Will he wait? 
Oh, brother, sister, can you imagine when they gather there in 1 Samuel chapter 11, saw 300,000 of the children of Israel gathered themselves to Saul. But 30,000 of the children of Judah, 330,000 men. But now he has 600. Don't take much faith when you got 300,000 with you. Maybe you're well tonight and you got all your bills paid and everything's going pretty good. And boy, you can shout the praises of God. But let all hell break loose against you on your job and your home and your body. And my, you get this took care of in your body and your blood pressure goes haywire. And you get a pill for that. And then you, you get gout and then you get a pill for that. My goodness, you're a walking medicine bottle, ain't you? Before long, you got this going on and that going on. Can you still say and say, blessed be the name of the Lord. This too will pass. This will not stay. This is not who I am. This will pass. It will not remain on me. Oh no, my God redeemed me from all the places of the world and he's also healed me of all my sicknesses and my infirmities but it's a lot easier when you got 330,000 standing behind you versus when you're standing at a time when you got all these chariots you've got all these professional warriors remember the Philistines had fought for decades they was professionals while the children of Israel was down in the land of Egypt dobbing mortar and building pyramids they were professional fighters and may I remind you tonight the demons that you are fighting. Noah fought them. The demons that you are fighting, Abraham fought them. They have been around for thousands of years. They're smarter than us. They're more powerful than us. They're greater in number, but yet by the power of God living inside of us, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. I am no match for the devil by myself, and neither are you, but he ain't no match for me with the Holy Ghost inside of me. It came to pass as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering. Behold, Saul went out to meet him that he might salute him. So here comes Samuel. Where have you been? He was that close, Brother Jim. He was that close. Friends, how many times have we been that close to our deliverance? How many times have we been that close to a, a miracle, a healing, or whatever more? And we take it out of God's hand and take it into our hands? And you've been that close, just footsteps footsteps away from your deliverance. But you see the reasoning of the man. Everything was closing in. You've got all these chariots. You've got all these horses. You've got thousands times thousands times thousands of men. And you got 600. Or you did have a few days ago. You're not sure how many you got today because you ain't got the daily count of how many's left. And you figure you better do something and you're not going to go to battle without doing a sacrifice. And you know you're not supposed to do it. But you do it anyway. The little fox of an unsurrendered life. Saul lost his kingdom. This is the beginning of his loss. By jumping ahead of God. Two to three minutes. 
with the time it would took to slit the lamb's neck and offer the offering. You're that many minutes away from God's prophet. Lord Jesus. Unbelief. Impatience. Sure, it was all real. You look out there and you see all them soldiers. You understand how far McMash was from Gilgal? 20 minutes. So at any given time, they make up their mind. You are swarmed like a bunch of hornets. Where are you going to go? All the rabbit holes are full. All the fox holes are full. All the cow holes are full. So what do you do? You, well, I'm, I'm going to do something even if it's wrong. That's what he done. Kind of go on. Some of your brothers are crossing the river and going plumb back on the other side. Lord Jesus. Samuel, what did you do that for? Why did you do that? Did you want this man to fail? Of course not. Samuel don't want him to fail. But he wants God to be able to try him. You see, this is the test of his character. That is a man with an unsurrendered will. I'll do it. Bless God. I've still got my wits about me. I can do this. Yeah, as long as we maintain that, we'll miss the realities of the living God. Now you realize, you know, if you're seat of God, God will get you one way or the other. If you've got to lay flat your back, break all, all your arms, all your legs, poke both eyeballs out, pierce your ears, whatever God's got to do, knock you in the head like you're a dumb jackrabbit or whatever he's got to do, God's going to get you. That's right. But it's up to you whether you roll in or you walk in. Brother Don, don't you believe that the Son of God has a free moral agency? I certainly do. As a matter of fact, my free moral agency is what's got me in so much trouble and so is yours. It wasn't my free moral agency that got me out of trouble. It's what got me into trouble. But don't you believe that I've got free moral agency to choose whether I want God to be my father or not? I do. I believe you've got just as much free moral agency to choose God as your father as my daughter Erica and my daughter Alyssa had to choose me and their mother as their parents. Did you have any choice of what family you were born into? Whether you're a Roberts or a, you know, an Elliot or a Hamblin or a Reagan, did you have any choice? Adam did was not choosing in the Garden of Eden whether or not he wanted to be a son of God. He was choosing whether or not he wanted to be an obedient son of God. His free moral agency never changed that he was a son of God. He was still a son of God when he fell. That was not what the choice was even about. He was a son of God before the Garden of Eden. He was a son of God when he was thrown out. Hold on to your false teeth. One of these days you'll walk down the streets of gold as we're being introduced to all these people and somehow saying, you know who that is? I said, that's Saul, isn't it? Yep, that's Saul. (laughs) 
You say, Lord, have mercy. You mean he'll be there? Don't be so surprised about him. You may call if you raise eyebrows yourself that you made it. And Samuel said, what is thou done? And Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattered from me. Now watch, an unsurrendered heart in a life of an individual, it not only leads them down a different path in the way they sin, it also leads them down a different path in the way when they're confronted with their sin and how they view Repentance and reconciliation. You see, a real surrendered person can mess up. Why? Because this ain't saved yet. Oh, I know some of y'all think you ain't got a black dog, but we'll ask your wife and see what she says about that. We'll ask your children and we'll ask all the folks that work around you. Come on now, church, you might as well just say amen. You're chained to that old dead man. You might as well acknowledge it. You need help like all the rest of us. A real surrendered child of God where they surrendered from. It ain't their body. The body fights you every day of your life. It fights you every step of the way. Your soul wants to be happy and bubbly and have peace in God. And yet your body's got so many things to worry about and so many things to be troubled about. Come on, somebody say amen. But yet inside of you, you're baptized into eternity. You're filled with eternity, burst from eternity. You came from eternity and yet you go through so many things in your spirit and so many things in your body and you still feel Lord what in the world's the matter with me forgive me Lord for being so sad forgive me Lord for being so depressed why because you live in beneath your privilege in God does your worry help the situation does your doubt help the situation does your frustration help the situation I say to you no So watch a man with an unsurrendered heart. How he deals now with repentance. And Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattered from me. And you've been gone since 1965. How do you think we're supposed to keep this message together? Are you not around? not within the days appointed. Now right there he's accusing the prophet of God. Think of it. This is the seventh day. He's still in the right time frame, Harry. He's still in time. May I say the coming of the Lord Jesus is right on time. All people say, oh, he ain't coming, he ain't coming, he ain't coming, he's supposed to. He will be here when he's supposed to be here. And thou camest not. Now watch, watch an unsurrendered heart. An unsurrendered life. Even when they're caught, they don't know how to repent. They can say they're sorry. They can say, oh, yeah, I'm I'm so sorry. I'm I'm so sorry. They can say the right words and not have the spirit of the words. Now, this is so. This is so. Well, it was because the the people. Notice, now, nothing is, is him. 
was stubborn. I was hard-headed. I lacked faith. Lord Jesus. Because I saw the people were scattered from me. It wasn't my fault. As a matter of fact, part two is your fault, prophet. Thou camest not within the days appointed. And them sorry old Philistines over there. Everybody around me is a bunch of devils. It's hard for me to fly high with eagles when all I've got around me is turkeys. He sounded like the main gobbler to me. <laughs> and the Philistines gathered themselves together in Micmash. Notice his excuses. Nothing is said about him. Therefore said I, the Philistines will come now down upon me to Gilgal. I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I knew it wasn't right. I knew it's forbidden by the word. But I forced myself. I knew it wasn't right to smoke him cigarette. But I made myself do it. So the grace of God. So I could have a great testimony. God let me backslide and leave my wife and go out and marry another woman and then a backslid and, and married another woman and I got 13 young, about 18 women now. And, and, uh, but God did it for a great testimony. I'd rather have mine. You've got a war thing. Oh, I'm working on my testimony. No, you're bringing reproach upon the cause of Christ. Shall we sin that the grace of God may abound? God forbid. Listen at him. I forced myself. I grabbed myself by the arm. I said, Saul, get over it. No, 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 I'm not doing it. Yes, I said, get over it. No, no, no. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I said, do it. What kind of an idiot does he think this prophet is? I forced myself. And offered a burnt offering. My arm is dwindling. You didn't come when you're supposed to. How am I going to fight without an all of sacrifice? So don't look at me. It's everybody else's fault. But not mine. Hallelujah. Look, look at, friend, look at a heart that all the grapes are gone. The bark is not off the vines. Look what a human heart can turn into. Do you understand how, how wicked a human heart can become? It can become so wicked, so sinful. Who can know the heart? The scripture says. And Samuel said unto Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not to keep the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee, for now would the Lord have established thy kingdom 
upon Israel forever. What's he talking about? His dynasty. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. Now that don't mean immediately he's going to go off the throne, the throne because he don't for years. But remember again, he's talking about the dynasty, the long, long life of how long God wanted it to live. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart and the Lord has commanded him to be captain over his people. But what's amazing is this man don't even know it yet. <laughs> well, glory to God. You didn't know the Lord had commanded you to be a part of his bride. But the commandment already went forth before you ever know anything about it. I remember Samuel had not called David. He had not anointed David. But in the word of God, in the realm of eternity, he can prophesy as if though it's already come to pass. That's why the prophet of God can say, your glorified condition is right here in the tabernacle this morning. He said, your own glorified body wanted to send a charge through you like, oh my, like a battery. When you get down sometime and you get a little bit low and the Lord sends your theophany real close and he takes the jumper cables and hooks them over on your life and he begins to send a little charge of supernatural power through your glory. And you say, well, praise God. I feel so much better. Why? You got a charge from yourself. Sometimes we These poor old song leaders sometimes, they get up here. I can hear them back there in the study. They're trying to get you all going. Praise God. Sometimes they're able to jump you off. One of you pick up your hand. Glory to God. He set me free. He set me free. He set me free. Really? Music could get going a little bit good and you go to popping your feet a little bit. Praise God. What happened? Jumper cable's getting on you. And then that word goes to coming near. Let me tell you something, friend. You're more in contact with the supernatural what you realize. You see, when you heard the word of God was eagle food and you left the other thing, you heard from your theophany. Isn't that amazing? You didn't even know you had one. Some of y'all still ain't seen him. You ain't shook his hand, but he's been around you. Oh, glory. Amen. When you recognize the word of this hour, God sent down your own representation and give you a little bit of an eternal boost. That's the very thing that's going to happen to the change of the body. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. The Lord has commanded him. You see, the same God that said this was the same God that spoke to Elijah and said, I've commanded a widow woman to sustain you. But she hadn't caught up with that yet. She didn't know it. 
The Lord God commanded you to be a recipient of his seed word. The Lord God has commanded you to be a light in the time of darkness. The Lord God has commanded you to have joy in the time of trouble. Maybe it ain't happened yet, but claim it as your promise. Claim it as your promise and say the Lord spoke it and the Lord's going to bring it to pass. The Lord is so a man after his own heart and that man is a boy. So you know what that boy's going to do? He's going to grow into the image of what God saw. I feel like shouting a little bit on the side. The Lord has commanded him to be captain over his people. And the boy at present time is out reaching over a cliff, we'll say, trying to get a fallen sheep. After he gets up, he's a little lad. Red skin, spotches, and kind of red-headed. He goes to thanking God. He goes to having a little spell out there in the middle of the desert, dancing around a little bit, playing a harp, and God gives him songs while he's out there carrying on. Glory to God. A man after my own heart. These words are prophecy. Blessed be the Lord God. A man after God's own choosing. God never chose Saul. A son of Kish. The people wanted this man. And he fit them. But David wouldn't have fit under the administration of Saul. The people's heart has to change in order for them to have this kind of a leader. Look at the leaders God sends among his people and it'll tell you what God thinks about them. Woo! Hallelujah. Look at the leaders that God puts among his people. It'll tell you what God thinks about them. If God's all the time rebuking them and blasting their high, this and other shows that God said them folks need a beating. But if God sends a man that's balanced in the word, a man that'll whip them when they need it, a man that'll pull them up and love them, a man that'll correct them, but yet a man that preaches the revelation, you know what God's thinking about that people? I love them people. I want them people balanced. I want them right. I want them to to praise me. I want them to love me. I want them to have the stability of the word, but I want them to have the sweetness of the spirit. I don't want them to be cold theologians. That's why I sent them who I sent them. God ever sends you all a false prophet? That tells me a lot about you all. That means you all are false. <laughs> Uh-oh, you didn't like that, did you? Don't worry about it. Oh, he said, what if God's saying, huh? You don't have nothing to worry about. As long as you stay true and sincere before the Lord, God ain't going to send no false prophet. Remember, God allowed Balaam, the false prophet, to come among the children of Israel so he would prove the destiny of those that were among them. False prophets are not sent. Oh, come on, church, to be bride material. False prophets are sent to gather those that aren't elect. Look at Saul. He didn't know how to repent. It's just one excuse after another after another. 
This is his first big mess up. Now compare it to David taking a man's wife, having her husband killed, hiding it. Compare this to that. Well, it looks like there's no comparison at all compared to the wrong that David done. And God did not condone what David done. How could God look at David's prayer and David's confession in a different way? Look whenever the prophet comes to him and he gives him the parable and said, you have stole your eye as only sheep. And he said, well, I'll tell you one thing. If it hadn't been for my wives and if it hadn't been for the policy of the, 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 the government and everything, and after all, you ain't been here in a long time, have you? You know what he done? Immediately said, I repent. I'm guilty. Oh, God, forgive me. Oh, God, read Psalm 51. That's after David wrote Psalm 51. After the prophet had come to him. Look how he reads it. Notice how he come. He blames himself. It's against thee and thee only have I sinned. That you might be justified. That you might be great. That you might be proven. He don't blame his wife. He don't blame his children. He takes the blame himself. I sinned against you. God said, that's a man after my own heart. Even when he's wrong. Can I go on just a few more minutes? Oh, praise God. Notice Brother Bram said, that's what we lack. We don't want to surrender our ways. We don't want to surrender your societies. You don't want to surrender the little clique that you belong to. You don't want to surrender any time. You've got to do this or the other instead of praying. You don't want to surrender things to God. God wants you to surrender. Closing, he said, I want to say this. A whole lot more I'd like to say, but I haven't the time. God wants a complete surrender. When you surrender everything, then you'll find out what I'm talking about is the truth. Now, can you imagine? You can read what Brother Branham was talking about and it still won't be a truth to you until you actually surrender then you'll experience what Brother Branham is talking about oh I tell you I can quote the prophet the devil can do the same thing I believe every word he said Brother Branham said that's just being able to read I don't want to just quote it and say I believe it I want to live it I want to become it. Oh, I don't want to just fight by the West when 300,000's behind me. But I want to stand there if I've got 600 or six or the last six I had just left. Can I have faith then? When you're prayed for and you're doing well and all the symptoms are gone, that's like the 300,000. Oh, you're feeling so, praise God, praise God. This blood pressure, hallelujah. I'm gonna cut me a little spell here, so as the world. And tomorrow you get up, it's three times as high as it was the day before. And you're thinking, what in the world happened? What happened? Don't lose your faith. Don't let your healing go because of symptoms. I'm praying for my son, I'm praying for my daughter. He's getting worse. Well, that's a good sign. That means the devil is scared of your prayers. So keep on praying. 
Notice again, let me close. By humbling ourselves to his death, reckoning ourselves nothing, then the Holy Ghost comes in and lifts us up and we don't trust in ourselves because we can do nothing but with him, we can do all things. When you surrender yourself to God and God comes into you, what does it make you? A living image of God. Let's stand. Listen to this in a prisoner. Oh, tonight if we as the Branham Tabernacle could only become prisoners to our own selfish being, to our own ambition, that we could completely surrender ourselves and be yoked to him. No matter what the rest of the world thinks and what the rest of the world does, we're yoked with fetters of love. We're prisoners. My feet is so yoked to Christ, it won't dance. My eyes are so yoked to Christ, and when I see these modern striptease on the street, it turns my head. My heart is so yoked in love to him till I can't have love for this world anymore. My will is so yoked to him till I don't even know what my ambitions are. <laughs> Lord, children, did you hear that? Praise God. I'm so yoked to him, I don't even know now what in the world has happened to a person like that. I don't even know now what my ambitions are. I've so lost them. And I'm so merging into him. I don't even know what my ambitions are. I used to want to be this and I used to want to be that and I wanted to be something else, but forget all that. I sat with a man just some time ago, a message brother, preacher. He was telling me as a little boy how he wanted to become an underwater guy that would go down underwater and discover all kinds of things and this and that and the other. He said as soon as he was a boy, he started diving and started, you know, going at the beaches and going under the water. He knew immediately what he wanted to be. Went to church a little while, got away from God. Went to church again a little while and got away from God. Did drugs, all kinds of things. Somebody told him about the message. That sat around listening to reel to reels, smoking marijuana. Said, man, listen to that. That is heavy. <laughs> Got away from God again. Come to God again. Went home, throwed all of his dope stuff away, all of his paraphernalia. Went to bed that night, so happy, so full of joy. Got up the next morning. In the office shape ever was, and the devil said, Look what you've done. Now you ain't got nothing. He woke up shaking, trembling and shaking, needing marijuana. And he remembered where one of his favorite spots to smoke it was. A certain spot up in the rocks overlooking a beach. So he took off running out of his house. 
got up there clamoring around, digging, looking somewhere and found a little bitty tiny piece of a marijuana thing, whatever you call it. Run back to the house. It was so small he couldn't even put it in his fingers. So he found a little something around the house and didn't find no lighter, couldn't have no matches. And you want to tell me they ain't addictive. Shaking like a leaf. Finally lit it off the stove. Started taking it in and smoking it. Started affecting him. It started getting high. <laughs> All of a sudden, the Holy Ghost come into the room where he was. And he said, I don't want you. I don't believe in you, God. And God broke him out of his high. He says, God, you want to fight? Come on, I'll fight you. But he said, Brother Donnie, God didn't want to fight me. He wanted to love me. He said, right there, I made that commitment to God. There's a difference in surrendering part and surrendering all. Got terrible disease, terrible sickness in your body. Surrender it. Just surrender your life to God. God, if I live, I live to your glory. If I die, I die to your glory. Well, I've got some friends. I just, I can't let go. I just, I just commit them to God. I guarantee if you let go of worldly friends, God will give you friends that are so much greater. But you see, with some people, if they hold on to worldly friends, it's their tie to the world itself. That's why they cannot totally let go. I'm not talking about not, not being nice and sociable to people out here in the world. We, you know what I'm talking about. But that's your camaraderie. That's the ones you want to fellowship around and be around all the time. There's something wrong with your experience. Can you imagine Jesus coming down in a room where there's marijuana, marijuana smoke filling the kitchen? So thick you can hardly breathe. That's how bad Jesus wants us to be saved. You and I would smell it. Say, I ain't going in there. Jesus says, I will. I'll go in there because one of my boys. Glory to God. Would you like to describe where it was where he found you? For many of us, was it a really nice Church with real nice padded pews and really nice carpet. Or was it a bar stool somewhere? Was it some denominational prostitute? But Jesus come walking right down them aisles of that Catholic church, grabbed a hold of your heart, and you and him walked out together. Praise God. Don't you love him, children? Oh, my, let's take out our shotgun tonight and blow that little old fox all to pieces. That little fox 
of an unsurrendered life. Story for us. Lord Jesus. It's my desire. Yes, Lord. To live for Jesus. Hallelujah. It's my desire. Oh, let's sing it together. To, to live for